Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Democracy-ish, I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And I just want to have a button up from last week's very spirited conversation. <laughs> there was a lot of tweets that I saw. Yes, I seen you talking about Torre is wrong as two left shoes. And I'm yelling <laughs> oh, at the phone while about Torre. And thank God Danielle is here to set Torre straight. And you know what? Yes. Thank God Danielle is here <laughs> because you bring it 150 grand every week. But in the spirit of, you know how on Twitter they say, I'll leave this right here. Yes. I can just leave this right here and keep it moving. It's an interesting quote in the New York Times. I had to send out to all my beloved friends. I'm going to put it out for folks. Just I'm just going to leave this here. There is little evidence. The New York Times says that VP selections sway general elections in any meaningful way. I'll just leave that right there Mm -hmm. for all the folks who want to continue to argue that the VP makes the difference. It doesn't matter. Whoever Biden chooses, he's going to win or lose based on what he does and not who he chooses. But for this week, we wanted to talk about something a little bit different because our man Puffy, I think the kids call him Diddy now, if that's still the name. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, and he also but, refers yeah. to himself as love. So mm, I'm not doing that. Okay. Not doing that. Oh, not right. doing that. Okay. I, I can love him, but I'm not calling him love. Okay. Um, but he told Naomi Campbell that he wants to uh, set up a system where we are demanding something from Joe Biden as black voters and perhaps even not uh, supporting him or pledging our votes until we get that. Now, I don't know that Puff has the political power to uh, demand and have us withhold our vote, but it is a valuable question. What is it that we as black voters should be demanding out of the deal mm-hmm. of voting for Joe Biden? Because it should not be just Will you remove Trump? That's all we want. I want more out of the deal than just will you remove Trump from office? Right. And there are important things that we could get. And I also think it's more it's more important than to get just a black female body as vice president, Mm -hmm. because every brother ain't a brother. Every sister ain't a sister. Mm -hmm. You know, Joe Biden is 
Joe Biden's not going to pick Candace Owens, but if he picked Candace Owens, would that be okay? No, we don't want Can't Dance. If he picked Mia Love, would that be okay? No. If he picked Condi Rice, would that be okay? Or Diamond and Silk? Come on now. So there's 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 some when we say we want a sister, we want somebody who's down with us, down for the cause. So let's talk about what it is that black people should be demanding from the Biden campaign for our unbridled support, which he's going to need to take this thing home. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think that Diddy is in the right space, right? I, I think that we need to be thinking broadly about where the black community is right now. And I specifically think that Joe Biden, who, by the way, still, aside from the Hillary Clinton endorsement uh, this week, has been relatively silent. I don't know if folks- Relatively? I I mean, blatantly silent? I don't know. Um, (laughs) But there are so many things that the current administration that Trump is doing so fucking wrong uh, with roots steeped in so much racism, like the rush to reopen America, when we are talking about uh, the fact that a majority of the people that are dying from COVID-19, from the coronavirus, are in fact black and brown people. He is mandating, yep. right, The that he is mandating that slaughterhouses, these meat companies, right, stay open. Who do you think works in those factories, right? It mm-hmm. is black and brown people uh, that are in there. So again, He's putting our lives at risk, saying that we are expendable in order to literally feed the rich. Right. So Mm -hmm. the questions Mm -hmm. that we need to be asking of Joe Biden is what is your alternative? And to your point, it can't just be, well, I'm not that guy. Right. So what are the when when Donald Trump is rolling out? Well, I'm going to use the Defense of Production Act to force Purdue and the rest of the meat companies to stay open, even though they have 5000 cases across all of them of people infected with the coronavirus. And we know who is doing that dirty work, who has always been doing America's dirty work. What is Joe Biden offering us? What is he saying that if he has to pass off the baton right in January, what is he doing to help those of us that are suffering right now to help us not only in our public in the public health sphere, but also in the economic sphere? There's a couple of things that I want to see that we can run through uh, as we go through the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for one thing, you know, I continue to love the fool that Trump makes of himself at the briefings when he lies and he runs through his greatest hits of we we had the greatest economy of all time we blockaded china we're testing more people than ever anywhere ever all the governors love me it's like you know just these greatest hits that he runs that he ticks off it's not actually a briefing of information it's a it's a it's a rundown of the lies it's a campaign rally um and then he attacks reporters and looks like a fool attacking the reporters And what many have suggested and what seems fairly obvious to me and what suggests to me that Joe Biden is not yet in the game in terms of being in the fight is that Joe Biden should be scheduling himself to come on Mm -hmm. shortly or directly after the Trump Trump briefing to say, here's actual information about what's going on. You don't have to be saying, here's where he's lying. That's for news reporters. Mm -hmm. But if you come out and say, here's actually what's going on as if you were the president 
what would you be briefing us on? Why don't you come up with actual experts who say, hey, here's Dr. So-and-so from his home who can break down blah, blah, blah. Chuck Todd is not the only person who can book a doctor, right, to come <laughs> out and tell us important things. Surely Joe Biden knows some important doctors. You, you can't, he can't actually be combating COVID right now because he is not the president, but he can be acting like the president and reminding us what a real leader would be doing in this situation. And a sort of bookend, we get Cuomo, a real leader at noon, and then we get Correct. Biden, a real leader at 6.30, and we start to see, oh, the lunacy is not, you know, and he could have reporters zooming in to ask him questions and show how an actual president responds to reporters' questions. And knowing that this current administration, right, does not care about black or brown people, does not care about the underserved, does not care about the economically vulnerable. Let Joe Biden act as our president, right? Let him be that that uh, emphatic uh, chief, right? And be the voice and say, and much to taking from Elizabeth Warren, offer us the plans. Well, if mm-hmm. I were in this position, because when Barack and I were dealing with H1N1, when we were dealing with Ebola, when we were dealing with this, these are the steps that we would take. These are the steps I'm going to take on day one of my administration. No, we shouldn't be rushing to reopen because here is why. And I mean, it seems to raise so goddamn simple It seems so simple because one, it would make us as black people feel like, oh, you mean somebody is actually paying attention and doesn't just see us as chattel, right? Because that's what this administration is doing right now. Let's reopen America. There are in New York City, in New York City alone, 50 metro workers have died, 50 subway operators, grocery store attendants, and they are black people, right? Look- I would like, and I haven't seen this from Biden. Um, I would like to see him talk about an aggressive testing plan. Mm-hmm. And he's he's the sort of person that says, we need to test everybody. But we could be more aggressive, more loud about we, and, you know, we can and will test everybody when I'm president. Look, I, and I want to caveat this, like I understand that COVID has completely changed the race. It is harder to get that media oxygen right now. This state that we're in, in April 2020, will not last forever. Mm -hmm. So as Joe goes on into the summer, be talking about testing. And if you are talking about it, talk about testing specifically for Black communities, where it needs to be even more aggressive, okay? Because that shows that you actually are aware and care about what's going, that they understand this is hitting us harder. We have famous black pundits out here talking about, yeah, systemic racism, but we need to step up and be different, which is respectability politics and putting the uh, the problem on us. This is not because of us. This is because of the impact of systemic racism. And we need a president, if he's going to, I, the earning of the 80 to 90% of the black vote that he's almost surely going to get has to be about more than I put a black woman beside me or mm-hmm. we are offended that I, you didn't put a black woman beside you because that's not necessarily meant as uh, an offensive gesture. There are many ways that he can earn the 80 to 90% of the black community voting for him. One of those can be 
talking about testing in the black community in particular and being aggressive and robust about that. Because don't you think that as a country, we would be able to learn and understand more about how this virus is moving and operating and working through the body if we were to actually take the take the testing to the community that is being ravaged by it? Right. Don't you think that it would make sense for Joe Biden to go on television and say, instead of mandating that you can get your chicken McNuggets, Donald Trump, that maybe we should mandate that the Fords of the world and the GMs of the world are able to turn their factories into making testing kits. Right. Like there there are ways that the presidency, that the federal government can be used that Biden knows good and goddamn well. Right. From his from his 30 friggin million year career in government, he knows how it works. Look, racism doesn't mean or not being racist does not mean you treat everybody the same. Mm -hmm. Okay, racism means you treat you're treating certain people, certain groups uh, in an oppressive way. Right. In a lesser way. Right. But understanding that black and brown people are dealing with this particular challenge in a harsher way, are dying from it far more often, are catching it far more often, and saying we need to have special outreach for them is not racist, right? That is intelligent. And not just uh, more aggressive testing, but like what you were talking about, black SBA loans Mm -hmm. need to be far more aggressive, right? Because our businesses are not getting the loans, and that is going to be devastating to the small businesses in our community. I mean, what is happening right now to minority-owned businesses, to women-owned businesses, but I'll speak specifically about minority-owned businesses, is akin to a white mob going into Tulsa, Oklahoma and burning down Black Wall Street. That That happened. That happened, and it is happening right now. When you have the Potbellies, the L.A. Lakers, the Shake Shacks, the Ruth Chris's of the world, getting Harvard million, University, uh huh, getting tens of millions of dollars, right? As if they are small businesses, because this administration put in loopholes big enough for Donald Trump to fit his fat ass through. That is a problem because we know that banks have always neglected and been obstacles to us building wealth right? To our communities building wealth. And so here we are where there, once again, you can find opportunity in the obstacle that is presented with us with this pandemic. And the opportunity here is to say, you know what? A majority of this country is employed by small businesses, actual small businesses, businesses that are roughly less than a hundred people are employed there. Not these huge conglomerates and corporations. And so we have an opportunity to seed these businesses. Women, black women entrepreneurs are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in the country. Okay. And we are denying them the ability to stay financially sound during this time. How do you think that it's going to fare? What do you think that we're, our community is going to look like after this if we, if we don't pay attention? So once again, Joe Biden, right, has an opportunity here to say these are this is what we should be doing. This is what this bill should look like. Run a shadow fucking government. I don't care what you want to call it, but do something that shows us that you are invested more so than just standing by us, getting pat on the back or having us stand over you and lay hands and pray for your pray for your Mm -hmm. presidency. 
I want you to put real words and real plans behind the way that this current administration is trying to wipe us out. One more idea that I want to see Joe Biden promise us, because there are core things that I need from the next president um, to help black America move forward. And to me, the thing that has been most damaging, the policy that has been most damaging to black America is the war on drugs. And I'm not just talking about the decriminalization of marijuana, I'm talking about the entire apparatus of the war on drugs, which exists in multiple realms in terms of the way the police, the prosecutors, and the prisons approach us. And Joe Biden is somebody who could atone for the Mm -hmm. crime bill by saying we will dismantle the apparatus of the war on drugs, right? And he can't get elected saying he's going to make all drugs legal, but he can get elected saying he's going to dismantle the war on drugs. We're going to decriminalize marijuana because this is having a negative, not only is this having a negative um, and, 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 and horrific, traumatic impact on black and brown communities, but there's also a lot of money to be made for states cleaning them up and bringing in tax dollars by legalizing marijuana, which California and Colorado and many, many other states have already done. And those sort of ideas that will have a transformative effect on black and brown communities are far, are the sort of powerful things that I want to see him promise us to make it say, okay, you have earned our vote rather than you just assume and expect we're going to give it to you because you're a Democrat who stood next to Barack for eight years. You know, I'm going to be real. What I would like is a fucking moratorium on white people being able to open weed boutiques until all (laughs) black people and brown people that are currently incarcerated, still incarcerated on dime bag and low level offense drug charges are out of jail. I am so tired. I mean, before the pandemic, how often I would run by a CBD store in Manhattan, how often I would run across like, oh, you can get this here and you can get these these vape pens here and this. And I'm thinking to myself, how many brothers and sisters are sitting up in Rikers right now because they were stopped and frisked and harassed and thrown up against a wall and some weed came out of their pockets? But you have right. you have the Karens and Beckys and Susans of the world making bank while they're while they're doing time. That is re- that's offensive. So I want a moratorium on you. And I also not only that, but I want you to to fast track. Right. Those licenses to people that were busted. You still have to get a license in order to in, in order to open this type of business. So why? again? Once again, as soon as something becomes legal, who is making the money off of it? As soon right and people. and who is and who is stays in prison and who stays beaten mm-hmm. down and who is unable to because they've had a prior arrest or they've had whatever that now can't that now can't open a business. Like it's all it just to me it's just all part of the larger fabric of white supremacy. And again, this is not and I don't actually I don't care. You owe us. Joe Biden owes us. The white people owe us. Right. Like I, I'm I'm tired. I'm tired of being overlooked. Right. Or not even being considered at all. It is time for him mm. to put together a layered plan that is about economic revitalization, uh, public health, all education, 
everything that is geared towards the most vulnerable. And unfortunately, we fall into that category. So if you if you have pushback from white folks that are just like, well, what about us? What about you? Seriously, what about you? Because when the most marginalized of us succeed, everybody succeeds, right? Because a trickle down doesn't work. Mm, No, there's no such thing as a trickle down. All of that plus a black VP. And then we're and then we're good. And then we're talking. Now we have a deal. Now we have a reason why 80 to 90 percent of people should show up and vote for him. Um, in the waning moment that we have left, we don't have time to run through it. But just since it's become this ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Did you do your homework? I did. <laughs> Yay! I finished the entire season of Black AF. Nice, nice. And nice. we have several minutes that we can talk about it. Go ahead, Tori, because you've been dying to do this. I, I mean, I-, I love this show. I think it's ironic. I think it's edgy. I think it's funny. I think it's smart. I like the way that they deal with black culture i like the 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 i love kenya's acting i love this family i think all these kids are super cute um i like seeing rashida jones as the mom putting on front street a lot of the insecurities that a mixed race person has in terms of feeling challenged by the community Mm. can you name the fab five can you name the jackson five (laughs) can you name the central park five can you stand the rain or can you stop the rain? These are important questions. I love that whole ongoing thing from her. I love the thing from him about how he's like, can I just have this? Like there's just little things that I want as a dad to find like joy in my life. Can I just have this? Um, there's so much of this show that I find just sort of, it's just really brilliant and smart and funny and edgy and like, yeah, it's very similar to blackish, but it takes the whole thing a whole other level. You know, I think it was funny because I, as I started to watch the show, um, I we were we were texting and and on the phone, and I was saying like, I don't know if I like this. I I don't know, and I think that I had to get over one. Um, I don't like cursing at children. Like, and I know that that's going to sound really funny from me who drops F bombs all the time, all day, but I do it for Mm -hmm. adults. It's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of jarring to me to see the family just curse and drop like F bombs. And the kids are as, you know, in their, in their tween years or in their teen years, like that was kind of off putting. But, uh, once I push past like that, uh, I really found the show so utterly refreshing. The opening uh, within like the first two episodes talking about white gaze, the, the, <clears throat> the stare and the lens through which you need to see, which you are forced as a black person to see yourself through somebody else's perception of you. Um I thought that that was incredibly important. The idea that this guy is incredibly successful. And and one of the scenes they show him, I forget who it is, but it is the the other uh, major director who did Everybody Loves Raymond and did the, the bu- writer, the TV the writer, writer yeah. did the TV writer that did a bunch of very popular white shows. And he is uplifted as like this brilliant writer. And Kenya is still looked at as like, oh, you just do the black shows. You mean all of these incredibly successful, highly rated shows? 
it's the same, same. And I loved in the first episode, the breakdown to show the difference in how his work was perceived versus the other guy. Um, uh, the converse, the conversation they have in episode uh, five, yes. where they're like, here's this piece of art that sort of the community loves, but you, you hate it because you see, you know, the potential for more, uh, more intelligent, more sophisticated, more trenchant art. And you're constantly arguing against like, you know, Juana band sucked and like, well, I actually liked it. It made me feel good at this. And I, I feel like I've had that conversation so many times. So I felt like it was really honest and hadn't really seen it play out in a, in a, in an art context before in terms of, you know, he feels sort of steeped in the highest levels of art and understanding, uh, you know, the value of citizen Kane People around him are like, what is that? That doesn't mean anything to me. Juana Man means something right. to me. This silly movie means something. Ride Along 2 means something to me. Um, I, I, you know, I, I loved seeing that interplay, which almost becomes like the painting, the Knowledge Bennett painting, like the different shades of blackness. I feel like a lot of people came to this show like guns out because they're like, that's not my vision of what is black as fuck. Mm-hmm, Martin mm-hmm. is my vision of that. Bernie Mac is my vision of mm. that. You're not. And it's like, well, you know what? He's being ironic, but also there's multiple ways of being black as fuck. And just because this is not your vision because they're not in the hood, because he has a big house, because he acts kind of like Larry David or what have you. That doesn't mean he's not black as fuck. Hell yes, they are. And they are worried about the blackness of their children, which so many of us in this generation are. And I I love that whole conversation. I think that the more successful you become, unfortunately for people in the black community and folks who listen to this will know, the more successful you come, the less of you you see. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the more that you, if you live in, in, in the suburbs, like if you grew up in the suburbs, like I did on Long Island, my mother moved to the best school district that she could possibly afford. What did that look like? It looked like it being 96% white. I look like the only black kid in my class for all 12 years, uh, uh of school before I went to college. Right. It looks like, you know, Jay-Z rapped about this, Right. Um, it, it, it's like, yeah. it's like I work towards this goal of being able to have all of the things that I want, but you realize how small, how shrunken your, how shrunken the experience becomes because there's no one around you who looks like you for you to share it with. And so it, it I, you know, I, I understand because for me, I was constantly, I still am heckled by people about the way that I talk and how I sound and, you know, is it black enough? And is it this, that has been the bane of my entire existence. Oh, because my family is Jamaican. Well, because I'm not black American in that vein, you know, you don't really understand. I mean, it's all of that. And I really, I loved it being on display in this show. And even within the family, they all have their own, like, well, you're a, you're a chump, you're a punk. Like, you know, who is, right. who, who has, who has carrying the most weight, who is the blacker of them all. Um, and I particularly, you know, I don't want to give too much away because folks should totally, uh, watch the show on Netflix, but, um, the whole chain conversation, his big gold chain and but <laughs> but what that meant to him, because at first you're just like, Oh, I'm looking at his outfits and his Gucci sweatsuits and all of this shit. And I'm like, that shit is fly. 
And then I'm thinking about him <laughs> showing up and folks being like, is he a rapper? Like, who is he? Right. You know, like, right. what is he about? And thinking that his chain was too audacious, but it meant success. When he was growing up, that meant success. It didn't just mean you were fly. It meant that you were doing things. You were on the move. And so to second guess that because of white gaze, G-A-Z-E, um, mm-hmm. it, it became so, it became problematic. But I'm glad he kept it, is what I'll say. I mean, I love that every episode is titled Because of Slavery. Isn't it all? And like it. And he breaks it down like, yeah, I could do this all day. Everything traces back to slavery. It's my North Star. Of course it is the root and the soil from which everything in Black culture comes from. We are not beyond it. We will never get beyond it. It has a deep impact on America and on our culture and our bodies in specific. I mean, talk about epigenetic coding and what multiple generations have to have to continue the trauma that the previous generation had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Of course it still impacts us. And he's, he's dealing with that in a way like only Watchmen uh, in terms of television has ever, ever, has even ever tried to deal with. Um, so I, I love that he deals with that in a really interesting and funky way. And like, you know, I, I love that he's constantly beating up on his little white assistant I love so much of this show. It's, it's good. It's, it's, it's a great. It's, it's a great it's show. I, I I did it get picked up? Uh, I, I, I I haven't heard. I haven't yeah. heard. I I imagine it. I imagine it will. I hope so. Um, but uh, yeah, no. It, it's a very interesting. Uh, introdu- it's a very interesting step in terms of the black television families that we've ever seen, right? And sort of this category of like large black television families, if you want to chart a course from, you know, good times to Cosby to blackish to this, like it's an, it's a really, really interesting family. There were moments I was like, so proud of him as a dad, you know, like when he's like, you know, driving his badass car and he's got his family in like two big trucks behind him and they're going to the private jet because he's taking his family on this amazing vacation to Fiji on a private jet and they could care less, (laughs) right? (laughs) They're so unimpressed by the private jet with the white leather. And like, I'm like, I feel you, dad. I feel you like doing it big for your family. I feel them like not caring and not being super grateful. You know what killed me too? I was watching... I was watching again last night. I believe it was episode six when they were trying to get into where are we going to go on this vacation? And they're doing their outreach and like trying to convince the kids. And he gives the kids, the youngest boys, like $200 to try to bribe them to go with his. And then at the end of the conversation, he takes the money back. And I'm like, that's good parenting. That's my wife good parenting. Like, Lie to the children. That's terrible parenting, and you're just like him. And I'm like, I think that's a compliment. <laughs> I mean, sure. you know what? I, I think that what does success look like in, for me, in terms of Black entertainment, Black-focused, and Black-centered shows, is that when we have moved beyond perfection— and and mm. I feel like that was my my early like cringe was that like, oh, God, we don't curse like that. Not with our kids. Like, we don't want people to know that. Like, that's not OK. 
Um, because I was still very much stuck in this, the idealistic of the blackish and the Cosby type and the, my wife and kids and that type of genre that Mm -hmm. once I got through that, I said, no, what does arriving look like? It looks like being able to show all of your flaws. It looks like how to get away with murders, Annalise Keating, uh, played by Viola Davis. It looks like being able to be all different aspects and facets of yourself um, sans perfection. And I, for me, that's why I, I really, really super enjoyed um, I mean, Black as Fuck. He's, he's rich and he's a mess. And he's <laughs> problematic, and I love it. Um, I, you know, and I and I love these kids. I love their kids. I'm I'm surprised that the Rashida character is so self centered and so not really on top of it with the kids as I would expect. And yeah, I, I'm, you and I, I have call, a different feeling about what it no, is know, that I don't you think to, is okay. I don't want to call her a bad mom, but she seems to be far more disconnected um, from the kids than you would expect. But you know, I mean, they they have these moments when she's like, you know, I, I you know, I'm all in on your life, but she seems, I don't know, I don't know, maybe other. People would read it as she's trying to carve out a space for herself, but I feel like she seems like unnecessarily self-centered rather than I'm drowning in children and I need to have something for myself. So I will say this, um, that one, she's a mother of six children. What you learn from the show is that while she was birthing all of these six children as her husband was working on his passion and not making any money, she was also the sole breadwinner as a lawyer. She took three years off because she almost died giving birth to her last child. I believe as a as a woman watching this that you are owed your fucking time back. And I don't, you know, I think that the both of them, the, their characters are terrible parents. I think that the both of them are terrible. <laughs> um, but I also, like, I there is freedom in being able to be that terrible. There is freedom in her being like, you know what? I literally almost died providing you this family and providing for you. Now I want to I take pieces of my soul and myself back. And that's what I'm doing. And it may look self-centered from the outset because women are always supposed to sacrifice and give up pieces of themselves, but she's reclaiming that. And I actually think that there is something powerful uh, in what you see in that. I I think that, I mean, I think it's a degree of nuance. I think that you can be reclaiming something of yourself. I remember the moment that Claire Huxtable finally got her room to herself and they finally finished the room. And it was this glorious moment of celebration of like, I finally have, you know, six feet to myself. And she was like an incredible mother, fully focused on the kids. And when she said, I want a moment to myself, it didn't read selfish to me. Right. It read like I have, I have lifted the earth with these children and this job and I need a moment to myself. And I'm like, totally. And sometimes Joya strikes me as like comedically like over self-focused, you know, and and all the things you're saying, I'm not saying because all the things you're saying, absolutely. Um, But I, 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 I struggle with her. The the first couple of times I watched the show, I was like, 
is she too self-centered? It's a, you know, I don't know. Um, but I am glad that you did your homework. I did my really homework. Appreciate that. So you can stop trashing um, me to the people. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, now you know what it's like to be a student who doesn't do, do her homework, which I know all about <laughs> from when I was a kid. Um, thank you for listening to Democracy Ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And we will be back next week if, if there is a country. <laughs> pray about it. Seriously. About seriously. It. Deep. Deep. Get on your knees and pray, folks. Every day. All right. Peace. Peace. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.